Welcome to Maker Skills, exploring your internal toolkit with PJ, Tanda, and Tom. Welcome back, everyone. Episode 40. Uh, no one's had a midlife crisis yet, but we're just starting the show, so it's probably going to happen. I thought, and Tanda and Tom agreed with me, that we should make episode 40 special. So we've got our very first guest. Everybody say hello to Ben Wilson of Ben Makes KC. Hello, Ben. Howdy. Since we have a guest, uh, we change up the format just slightly, and we're going to go with what Ben's dominant skill is. Ben, what's your dominant skill? Uh, Troubleshooting. Right. So we have almost done that. We've done functional troubleshooting as a skill topic, and when we did that, uh, it was a class 10, but then Tom downgraded it to a class 7. So, Ben, for you personally, what class, what skill class is your troubleshooting? Uh, 8.73. It seems valid. I, I can't argue with that. Yeah. It's not very accurate, but we'll take it. Yeah, I mean, he should have gone out to like the fifth decimal place, in my opinion. At least. At least. Six Sigma. Come on. Well, I mean, I wanted to keep it simple for the recording, you know? He ra- he ra- you can say it. He rounded up for Tom. We round everything up for Tom. I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to call him out, but you know, I figure we start getting into multiple decimal pl- places, and you know, everybody gets confused. And I don't want to do that. It's you know, I'm just I'm just glad to be on the show. Well, welcome, welcome. And since you're our guest, uh, we're gonna let you go first. What research did you find on troubleshooting? Um, I found two conflicting sources of where the term troubleshooting actually came from. One of them had to do with uh, the repair people for the early telegraph systems were called troubleshooters um, because a lot of times people would shoot out the lines and that one was kind of a stretch. And then I found one from the 1880s which more made it sound like when uh, mines, like open mines, like gold and silver mines, you would have someone there with a gun, and if someone ki- tried to come and steal from the mine after mining hours, those uh, people would take care of the trouble, so to speak. <laughs> hmm. <laughs> I like that one. I like that one better. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so, and then it just, they, they really from like the night, I think the earliest thing was 1927 when it was referred directly to someone who is, is trying to get a problem and figure out what is causing the problem and to fix it. I totally didn't think that's where you were going to go with the gold mine thing. I thought it was going to be like some guy shooting up in the air to signal that there was trouble and then someone would come running. I, I didn't think it was going to go that it's a little darker. Yeah. Some guy would come running with a can of oil and squirt it on a squeaky wheel of a mine cart. Yeah. He was the troubleshooter. Yeah. Exactly. Now, it makes it sound like, you know, as the miners were checking out for the day, guy would be in there with his rifle and a horse and he'd be clocking in. I mean, it sounds reasonable. Uh, But speaking of unreasonable, Tom. Yeah. What research did you do on troubleshooting? I'm still working on it. I I can't find anything. I did find... uh, Tom usually starts like 30 seconds before the show, but I think because he knew Ben was going to go first, he thought that maybe he could start 30 seconds into the show. I did. I didn't find anything about troubleshooting, but I do know how to clear troubleshooting history in Windows 10, if you're interested. I am not interested. Not even slightly. Mostly because 
when I was searching, it said that uh, all over the place. It was like that was the only thing people wanted to know. That's all there is about troubleshooting. <sighs> Windows 10 has dominated the search term troubleshooting. All right, so we're going to have to come back to Tom since he, so he's going to research and ignore what we're talking about. Tanda? What's that? What did you find in your research on troubleshooting? Well, I didn't want to. I didn't want to go on for a long time, so I just went and looked and found one thing that I thought was interesting. A, a situation where you know you you often find yourself looking for whatever's around you whenever you're doing troubleshooting, and I found an interesting story about these World War II prisoners of war, these British pilots who were in a prison camp, and they were trying to make copies of a map to get out of the, you know, to send it out of the prison camp. So they had had acquired this map, but of course had to return it. The way that they solved this problem was they smuggled some lemon jello, some lemon gelatin out of the mess hall, out of their rations. And they got enough that they were able to mix the gelatin and put the map on a wooden tray and then pour the gelatin over it. And then they were able to return the map and they made uh, like a handful of prints, some number of prints um, using this gelatin on, on some paper that were good enough copies of the map that they were able to smuggle those out. So I thought that was an interesting, uh, you know, troubleshooting story of what, what you might be able to do with just limited things around you. In my mind, I'm imagining a bunch of soldiers pouring jello all over something and then trying to read it. That's that's what comes to mind. Well, they no, they poured jello over the map and it picked up enough off of the map. They were then able to like take the jello and put it on blank paper and it transferred enough of an image onto the blank paper that they made copies of the map and were able to return the map and then eat the jello. Have you ever tried to pick up thin jello? It doesn't work very well. I didn't say how much they copied. It might have been, you know, like, uh, you know, Crow Creek Designs river table thick. It could have been two, three inches thick. Oh, it could have been a jello slab. That's true. Yeah. Well, they don't, they don't make jello like they used to. Everybody knows that. That's true. It may have been really poor, chewy jello as well. Could have been like fruit leather. Maybe it was rubber. Could have been. I mean, they were prisoners. I just find it interesting that, that the guards didn't notice that the map smelled like lemons after that. Like, you know. Mmm. It's a well-known fact that guards have poor sense of smell. Fact. Or that the map originally smelled like lemons. Yeah, yeah. Tom, did you find anything? No, but I like that you didn't. So I'm going to... I just want to talk about the similarities between troubleshooting and the scientific method and how they're basically the same thing. But one, you're called a scientist, and the other, you're just a tech. Thank, thank you, Tom, for doing absolutely nothing to contribute to the show. Appreciate that, especially when we have our guest on. So so the next time you're going to troubleshoot something, write down a hypothesis of what you think it is before, and then and then you're a scientist. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Well, if PJ was so good at troubleshooting, he'd figure out how to get me to do research. It's just, I don't know. Just calling him out. <sighs> He's not wrong. He's not wrong. I decided to look up historical troubleshooting figures, and I wound up with the Wizard of Schenectady. This is a real guy, okay? And there's a big payoff here. When I was reading this, I'm like, oh, okay, this is all right. And then I got to the end and I'm like, oh, holy <laughs> So this guy's name is Charles Proteus Steinmetz. And he's four feet tall and he had a uh, congenital uh, deformity where uh, his back was hooked at the top. So he, he looked sort of like a little gnome. 
but this guy was one of the giants among scientific thinkers. His best buddies were Albert Einstein, Nikola Tesla, Thomas Edison, and there are pictures of them together. So uh, he was big into mathematics and electrical engineering. And he was uh, originally from um, Breslau, Germany. Uh, but then in 1888, uh, he was trying to escape because the you know they were after him for various reasons. So he came to America, almost got turned away at Ellis Island. Uh, but an American friend vouched for him and said, this guy's really smart. You should let him in. <laughs> <laughs> and they just did. So he comes in and immediately gets put to work in a company in Yonkers called Eckemeyer and Osterheld. In like at the very beginning of working there, uh, he developed this thing called the law of hysteresis or Steinmetz's law, which is a phenomenon governing power losses, uh, which led to huge breakthroughs in alternating and direct current electrical systems. Once Thomas Edison found out about that, basically they bought him, Thomas Edison and General Electric, bought out the company so that they could get all of his patents and hire him to work for them. That was uh, in 1894. That's when he moved to Schenectady, which was apparently where General Electric was, was located. And uh, he, he continued to just refine and discover like all these different ways of of fixing problems. Um, but one of the most famous was uh, when Henry Ford uh, had a problem. So Ford asked Steinmetz to come to his plant uh, because he was having a problem with his gigantic generator. And so uh, Steinmetz uh, rejected any assistance when he got there. He asked for a notebook, a pencil, and a cot. And he spent two days listening to the generator and scribbling down computations on a notepad uh, and then on the second night, he asked for a ladder. And then he climbed up onto the generator and made a chalk mark on the side. And he told Ford's team to remove that plate uh, and replace 16 windings from the field coil. And they did that. And then the generator performed to perfection. So Henry Ford was thrilled until he got the invoice from General Electric in the amount of $10,000. Ford acknowledged that, that, you know, Steinmetz was, you know, an awesome guy. Like he fixed the problem, but he was like, I don't, why am I getting a bill for $10,000? And he asked for an itemized bill. Steinmetz uh, wrote him a personal bill that said, making chalk mark on generator $1, knowing where to mark $9,999. <laughs> and then That's Ford great. paid the bill. So, so that, is, that is the original... That's where that comes from. I've heard that so many times over the years. I never knew where it originated from. So it comes from this guy. Like this was a real guy. That's really interesting because I've heard the one with, you know, the locomotive and, and where to hit it with the hammer many more times. And I've never heard that one. And you would think that, that the original would come around more often. So it was Steinmetz. Probably. That's brilliant. Yeah. That's like I hired, I hired a painter years ago and he gave me an itemized bill. It said paint house. Quantity one, <laughs> and then the total <laughs> at the bottom. That's all it said. <laughs> it was like a full-paged invoice. That's great. You've just entered the dealer's corner where bargains are currency. Prepare yourself. All right. This week has been a good week for me, but 
our guest has something too. Ben, what did you get a deal on this week? Well, um, I was haunting Marketplace and saw a person locally who was selling a lot of tools, power tools, and uh, it's my kind of listing, really crappy pictures, um, vague descriptions. Um, but in one of the pictures, I could see that there was a Kmart branded drill, um, much like the ones that I am getting in another deal, um, and a Craftsman auto scroller. Um, and so I messaged him, was like, you know, what are you wanting? And he said, you know, it's like 10 bucks. I'm like, okay, well, Kyle, you know, come and take a look. And I mean, I, I hesitate to say crackheads because, I mean, maybe they weren't, but they had some high energy and some lots of skin lesions. Um, and so, you know, unfortunately that seems to be a theme in where I get a lot of my tools. Uh, so they were uh, in the process of uh, steel, they were using steel wool to polish every tool um, and like every single tool. And so I got there, I was like, well, you care if I look around? No, 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 it's fine, go ahead. And I was kind of walking through, found a nice Starrett uh, combination square, found a valve spring lifter from Kansas City. I think I paid $5 for those. And then in a box in the garage was a Arbor. Um, so this would be like a predecessor to a grinder. This is something you'd put on, uh, like a bench grinder. You'd put an Arbor with a motor and the motor would turn a pulley and you could put all sorts of different attachments on it. And it had, it had just that kind of look to it. And so I ended up getting a deal. I think I paid 15 for the Arbor and the other two tools. And so uh, we left and of course we got their card. Uh, they're, they ha they're junk haulers and their business name is Gimme a Hauler. Uh, <laughs> so there's that. Anyway, I get home and I kind of pull the Arbor out and I'm looking at it and I start cleaning some of the grime off and it is a Goodell and Pratt. And I did some research, it's from the 1880s. Uh, the one I have is more complete than the last one that sold on eBay uh, for $150. And so I've got it cleaned up and posted and I'm expecting it to bring in modestly twice what I paid for everything. Um, nice. So yeah, yeah I, was, I was excited That's and cool. It's really cool. So if it doesn't sell, I, it's still really cool. Yeah. And then I've got one coming up this week. This guy named EJ, he, he's, he's on the East Coast, and um, he knows that I'm after this specific kind of vice. And so he, he, goes, he goes picking, and, and we're talking, he calls me, and he doesn't handle the heat well. And he calls me. He's like, hey, what kind of dog did you want? I'm like dog i i when i retire i want an irish wolfhound but oh thought you wanted a bulldog no i mean they're cute i got you a bulldog and i'm really confused at this point because this guy has <laughs> mentioned his his dislike of small dogs as pets and i'm thinking i'm thinking i was like you mean the vice the bulldog vice because well yeah what do you think i was talking about and i just let it ride so anyway i'm meeting up with him this week uh, getting that, so that'll be one more checked off my uh, my wish list. It was hot, okay. I was very hot. It was hard to think, <laughs> okay, man. I had I was I was dehydrated. It was a hot day. I'm I'm sure it was very hot. It was. It was very hot. <laughs>
if I ever make that fireball tools vice, I should make two and I should brand it the Irish wolfhound. <laughs> yeah. Ooh, I like it. I, th- I think all vices should have some sort of animal name, you know, like their spirit name, for sure. I, I've worked in a lot of scrapyards, and the and the thing that they use to move sea containers around or trailers around always has the name of some animal anywhere I've been in the world, but not the same. Some places they're a mule, some places they're a donkey, some places they're a goat, some places they're a horse. I don't know why. I would think that something that's moving large pieces of trash around would be like the ogre smasher or, or something like bigger, like, you know, Godzilla's foot. I I, I don't know. I imagine them be. A, a, a... Yeah. No, no. Always just some kind of work animal. Yeah. I don't know. Ben, I know we've talked personally a lot about uh, the, the, the dealings that you've had with crackheads and so forth. And I, I don't know. I feel like your nickname should be crack daddy because that's all you get is these crackheads selling stuff that just, you you don't want to touch anything that they've touched <laughs> yeah i know i mean it's like i get him like hand me a sanitizing wipe because he had he actually the guy actually had a newer prentice bulldog in the back of his truck and it was it was so badly damaged it was so badly damaged like there were there was no redeeming value around this vice and he's like oh man what think i get like 100 bucks for that i'm like ah Probably not. Probably not. See, you got a problem here and here and here and here. Oh, okay. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, that that sounds like a crackhead to me. So um, that that actually reminds me um, of a deal that I wasn't going to talk about, but it just occurred. So I will talk about it because I'm pretty sure I bought something also from a crackhead. This this just happened uh, yesterday. So I am going to. Tony Rulo's slip and slide party. I know Tom is coming and Ben's also coming. Tanda, I don't know what happened. Tanda decides she didn't want to party with us, but we're all going and I camp out there. So uh, I've had the same three-man tent since I was a teenager and I wanted something bigger. Plus I'm going to need something when my, my girl comes with me. PJ, Tony wanted me to just remind you again that he's asked you to not camp out on his front lawn. Um, you do it every year. And... Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to the back, the back lawn. I'm going to the back lawn oh, this time. Okay. The, the front, well, I'll, I know. I'll double check with him if that's okay too. But... Yeah, he, he said to make sure he's like, look, the front lawn is for RVs only. You got to take your little dinky tent up on the hill. I'm, I, all right, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm with that. So, but anyway, I wanted a bigger tent. So I found, um, and by the way, for some that's reason, everybody decided that tents need to be these bizarre colors. Like I kept finding tents that were pink or yellow, or, or tan, or brown, like nothing that was blue. And then finally, I find this lady selling a five-man tent that's blue, and I'm like, oh, this looks kind of nice. And she's got it listed for 75 bucks. And I'm like, uh, and she's like 45 minutes away. And I'm like, hey, uh, is it possible that, you know, is the price a little flexible? And she goes, she goes, yeah, yeah, what were you thinking? And I'm like, I was thinking like 50. She goes, oh, oh, hey, I was just about to suggest 50. <laughs> So, so I'm like, that's awesome. Okay, I'll come get it. So I drive up there and get it. And like, as I'm in the middle of driving there, she sends me a text message and she goes, I hope you come to the right address and it doesn't send you to the next town over like everyone else. (laughs) Why didn't you send me that? Like before I left, you know? So I get there. Like she knew when I was arriving, I gave her an ETA and she's literally outside on the street 
waiting for me with the tent bag and like i'm driving up and she's like oh wow you made it you made it and i'm like oh yeah let me let me pull in let me park over here and this woman like she looks like she's about five four about 80 pounds soaking wet her teeth are like all kinds of crooked and so i get out and, and she's like Ho oh, oh, I'm so glad you made it here. I'm so glad you made it. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, we, I, I, I didn't tell you, but you know, we, we, we put the tent up and we waterproofed it for you just so, you know, so in case, you know, it gets wet it's waterproof, you know, so we, we waterproofed it, you know, in case, in case you're, you're in the rain. I said, um, well, well, thank you. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Uh, here's your $50. She goes, oh, oh, that's the best. Thanks. Thanks so much. Thank you. And then she just like, just like wandered away, like, like a mist, you know, she's like, what? So I wasn't going to mention that because I didn't even think about it being a deal. But the, the crackhead, I was like, yeah, she's probably a crackhead. She probably sprayed it with like Windex and thought it was waterproofing. I don't know. But it looked like a nice tent and it was 50 bucks. Have you opened the tent up? I peeked in the bag to make sure there, in fact, was a tent in there. Um, uh, but I did drive down the block before pro, I did that. Pro tip. Yeah, I, I didn't. Tip. In case it was like a bag of rocks. Yeah. I didn't want her to all of a sudden get triggered. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so bag of her just winter sweaters. Just take your loss, <laughs> cut your losses, and get the heck out of there. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. I I was uh because I heard her yelling to somebody up on the second floor, and I'm like, oh, that's got to be the trigger man. Yeah. I don't. I don't want to. Yeah. I don't want to find out what's happening. He's um, he's the troubleshooter. Yeah, yeah. And and then so then after I stopped and looked, then I went around the corner and I'm driving like to go back home and I see the exact same woman like a block and a half away on the corner looking intently at her phone like she's and she's going somewhere with that money. That <laughs> I don't know where, but intently. I see what you did there. I got a good idea, you know. Uh anyway, so that that's like a bonus deal. Uh, but I went back to um, to Jacktown, which you guys remember, uh, that was the place I told you about back in May where I found that really good deal on the Delta 14-inch bandsaw that had the retractable wheels and the light and all that other stuff. And I got it for 100 bucks. So I was like, ah, I hope I find another one of those. And this that one was a swap meet. This one was listed as a tractor meet. When I first went through last time, it was all this, half of it was shaded and there was a bunch of vendors in the shade. But as I'm walking through, all I'm seeing is like farm all tractors, hit miss engines, little tiny, tiny like toy tractors, like everything was tractors and hit miss engines. And I'm like, oh man, I hope I didn't waste an hour driving out here, you know, because I didn't see anything for sale. It was all, and like as the closer I get, they were doing tractor pulls like there. It was just like and it was I got to be honest. The first one I saw was this really cool looking woman on this old like, you know, 1950 tractor. And she, you know, she made it how far she made it. And then they unhooked her and everything. And then she's kind of putting along. And she had this like look on her face like I could have done better, you know. like <laughs> so, so I was like, hey, well, good on you, you know. So anyway. I make it out of the shade and then into the heat. And that's where all the stuff for sale was, was out in this sort of open, like grassy area. For some reason, um, the first guy I come up on has a ton of machinist tools, but everything is like polished. There's no rust on everything. It's all curated. It's nicely laid out. And I'm like, oh, this looks nice. And his prices are all like 
more than I would charge. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this isn't happening. So then I go to the next table and it's like the exact same thing. It's like this guy, like they're in the club. It's all machinist tools. I'm like, okay, well, like I'm, I'm happy I'm seeing machinist tools because I didn't see those last time, but everybody's charging like crazy amounts of money. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm not going to get anything. This is, this is terrible. So then I go to the next place and it's like a bunch of stuff laid out on the ground and there's nobody there. And so I spotted a Remington 14 inch electric chainsaw and it had a sticker on it for 10 bucks. And I'm like, that's a good deal. So I'm like looking around and looking around and I'm like, whose stuff is this? And it's right next to like a food stand. And they're, they're just the food stand people could care less what I'm doing. And then this guy like literally comes like out of a cave. Like he's in between all these things and just appears. And I'm like, is this your stuff? He goes, yeah. It's my stuff. Okay. Uh, I'd like the chainsaw. Or that's a good chainsaw. Uh, we just were using it to cut up logs over there by the train. I said, I, I believe it works. I, I see the sawdust. I said, is 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 you know, is there any room, wiggle room on the ten dollars? Oh, oh no, no, there's ten ten dollars. I can't go no lower. I said, All right, I, here's your ten dollars. Thank you. So I was like, okay, well at least I got that. Uh and then I walked over to another guy that had about 18 tables set up all with machinist tools and and he was less organized than the other people and this guy looked like he was about 500 years old and he also had some sort of unidentified lump on his head um he he was he was old his machinist tool stuff was again a little on the pricey side for me but i saw that he had a prentice bulldog bench vice and i knew that ben wanted one and so he had it listed for 75 bucks. And so I called him over and I said, I'm interested in this. Uh, is there a little wiggle room? He goes, eh, what was you thinking, young feller? He didn't say young feller, but I'm just going to put that out there. So I said, you know, uh, how about 60? And he goes, mm, how about 65? I said, done. I'll, t I'll take it for 65. Yeah. So that was the first like good deal. You know, I actually got a discount on something. Uh, then I went... Anyone else confused how all of these accents and dialects live in the same region that PJ lives in? It's an hour away from me. It is not where I live. Just I'm just putting it out there. Oh, okay. That explains it. Completely different dialect. Completely explains yeah. why there are like 10 different accents. <laughs> I mean, I'm doing my best here. Like Tractor tractor poles are like a melting pot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, no, there might be a melting pot there, but they're not usually a melting pot. I was the melting pot. It was hot out. Okay. I'm going to repeat it was hot out. I was severely dehydrated by the time. I didn't bring my water with me while I was pulling the wagon. So I was, I was definitely dehydrated. But then I, I went across to, uh, to another stand. And I found this thing that looked cool that I didn't know what it was until I sent it to a picture of Ben hours later. And he's like, oh, that's a butt gauge. And I'm like, well, I know how big my butt is. I don't I don't think I need a gauge for that. And, uh, anyway, um, I found a Stanley butt gauge, which if you don't know what it looks like, um, it's, it's kind of a neat looking tool. And uh, I brought it over to this guy and I'm like, how much? And he goes, 10. I said, how about five? And he goes, how about seven? I said, done. And I took it that I got, I got me some, some butt measuring stuff. What, what What's a butt gauge for? Ben, what's it for? Uh, uh, cabinetry work. 
Why it's called a butt gauge, I couldn't tell you. Uh-huh. I've, I've never seen a cabinet with a butt, but apparently I'm not really... That's because the gauges really... work. Oh, oh, okay. Well, that makes more sense. Definitely. Mm -hmm. I went through several more stands uh, finding nothing, and then I came upon this guy who was like basically my brother. He had about 4,000 milk crates full of tools that were not organized whatsoever, and it was like a junkyard had just landed on the ground. Some of it was on the ground, some of it was on tables, but I immediately looked at this and I'm like, oh yeah, this is the guy to get deals from. He's so disorganized, he's basically gonna value everything you know, as I pull it up, and there was no prices on. Well, there was a there was prices on some of the bigger things, but most of the stuff was just like literally dumped in milk crates. So uh, like to the point where I'm like, man, some of the stuff is going to get damaged like that. And he had like a bunch of Starrett tools that were just mixed in with garbage. And so I'm like, I went through once and then I went through a second time and I picked up like, like almost a third of the stuff the second time because I missed it. But, uh, this guy, like the whole time I'm there, as I'm walking around, I just keep cracking jokes just to loosen them up. And I start making a pile by him. And I'm like, I'm like, here, I, I'm, I feel like I need a shopping cart. The pile ended up tallying to $428. Okay. And I literally said to him, all right, let the dance begin. 325 <laughs> And he starts <laughs> laughing, right? And so we go back and forth and we wind up on 380, which I'm happy with, you know? I got a $48 discount. There's that's that's nothing wrong with that. And I got a lot of good stuff. Uh I've talked about these before, but those uh vintage steel bar clamps, like the old ones that are like a hundred years old and they're made of like a quarter inch thick steel bar, and they've got those notches with the spring loaded backer. So I got four of those. Uh, three of them were 41 inches. One was 29 inch. Uh, I picked up a very interesting Fordham flex shaft with an auxiliary port at the top. So every flex shaft tool I've seen, the tube just comes out the bottom. This one has a thing at the top where you can unscrew a cap and attach it at a right angle to the top of the motor, which very interesting. Very interesting. So I got that. Uh, he had three 12-inch flex steel rulers. Two of them were Starrett's. One was a Lufkin. Uh, then he had three 24-inch flex steel Starrett rulers, which, by the way, I looked that up on eBay. I don't really believe this, but I found a guy selling one for $135. If these are $135, I need to find more of these 24-inch rulers, really. So, um, So there was that. I picked up a Yankee auto screwdriver for uh, a guy that actually wants one. He's coming tomorrow to buy it with a bunch of other things. Um, I don't know what these are called, but they're machinist triangle blocks that have steps cut into the long side so you can kind of fit them together to make, I guess, different heights or something. Tanda, do you know what those are? The height blocks? A I set mean, of gauge blocks? I, I don't know, but they're like, if you put them the wrong way, it looks like an alligator. That's that's the best way I could put it. But anyway, they were like, uh, oh, they're they're probably for toe clamps. Offset. Yeah, yep. They have they have like little stair steps all the way up. Them. Yep, yep, yep. And yeah. Then they're, then they're flat on the other sides. Yeah, those are for toe. Those are for putting toe clamps on the mill. So you have another piece that matches the little stair step. Oh. And you you raise it up along yep. the stair step, and it cantilevers out over your piece, and then there's a bolt that goes down through into the T slot, then a T nut. 
I have that part you're talking about. Yeah. I've had that for a while that I got somewhere else. So I got two of those as a matched set, and then I looked at them today and realized they're actually made by two different companies. Uh, I picked up a very poor condition Nevaclog stapler, which is uh, I got a perfect condition one from Matt's neighbor. Uh, but I saw this and I'm like, I got to have it. Uh, I found a new and package pitch remover for getting, you know, that gunk off of sanding belts. Then I found the second Stanley butt gauge, but this one was a Stanley sweetheart. So I, I doubled up on the butts. Just why not, you know? Are you guys familiar with the ideal wire strippers where it'll it'll grab the wire and then part of the head grabs onto it and then strips it? Yep. So these things are awesome. I have two of them, but I found one that was made by an alternate company, which I did not write down, but it was something like Speedco or something like that. But these had rubber grips and the ideals are just all metal. So I'm like, yeah, I'll take that. And then going with Ben's Goodell Pratt theme, I found a 12 inch all steel level uh, that had the Goodell Pratt over the, uh, the bubble level. Uh, so I want to clean that up and see if I can't find it. I got a weird wrench because uh, I want to taunt Eric because I don't think he has one at, over at Hand Tool Rescue. I got a Worth Vintage Divider, um, which I've never heard of the company, but it looked cool. Uh, then we have a Stanley 199, 299, and $1299 utility knives. Uh, Husky Multi-Blade Utility Knife. Uh, I got a set of Starrett calipers but the the part where you measure is rounded like you're trying to measure an egg i don't know what they're called but they look really cool and i've never seen them before uh there was a mini socket driver that you use with your fingers for putting like a socket on in tight spaces a square d foot switch and then we come to the vices I got a clamp-on number 900 reed pipe vise, a number 33 4-inch Parker vise, and then two matching 623 and a half swivel bench vices that are three and a half inches. And one was black and one was red. And so that's that's what I got from this guy for 380 bucks. Um, which I'm pretty sure that one of those Athols cleaned up would probably pull in about 200 maybe a little more, you know, they're pretty nice. I, I, so I left that guy. And then I found another guy selling another Remington 14 inch electric chainsaw for $10. I, I don't know. It's like it was chainsaw day. So I just, I bought that one too. Uh, I found a guy selling two Diston and one Rockwell handsaw. I got those for 10 bucks. And then I found another old timer. This guy's name was Jimmy John. It, it wasn't Jimmy John. I can't remember his name. It was like Jarjo or something. Oh, oh, Tanda's got a Jimmy John cup. Look at that. That's that's why I was thinking Jimmy John. But he was a nice old fella. He was sitting on the side of his van, and I went and I picked through his stuff. He had a Union toolbox, which if you've been following me recently, I've decided to start collecting Union toolboxes because they have cool badging. Uh, a tube of Super Lube, which if you don't know what that is, you, you really should. Normal lube is, is not good enough. 10-inch uh, Diablo saw blade. Do you know the little round black balls that go on the handles for drill presses? You know, mm -hmm. he had about five thousand of those, so I picked up twenty-one of them. Those are expensive. Yeah, well, he was selling. I was. I needed one for one of mine and McMaster car. They're like twenty, twenty-five bucks. He was selling them fifty. He was selling them twenty for fifteen dollars. 
Our Ace Hardware wow. has those, and it's much better deal than McMaster. I don't know if that's yeah. true across all Ace Hardwares, but in the like nuts and bolts bin, they have a, a bin that has all kinds of those little like screw-on knobs. They have the tri-handle mm. and the round ones and all kinds of them. And I, that was a good find when I, well, especially when my daughter worked there because I got her discount. And it was crazy because it was like, oh, that's from the hardware section? Everything back there is like 69 cents for employees. And I'm like, oh, yeah. This, yeah. this bearing says it's $7. I mean, it's not just a screw. And they're like, doesn't matter. If it comes from, if it comes from the Hubble stuff, it's 69 cents or whatever it was. I don't yeah. remember what it was, but it was a crazy good discount. Hillman. I need to yep. go check out my Ace Hardware store. But anyway, I was counting out all the all the the knobs, and I got to twenty. And he just looked at me. He's like, "Throw another one in there." So he gave me twenty one. All right. I got a Dewalt drill, uh, a fork pry bar, and then a metal suit ladle, all for thirty bucks. Then um, you guys remember that I'm using. I bought a brass torch to turn into a light for one of the drill presses. Mm-hmm. Yep. So um, I found a guy that had a ton of brass stuff. I got three brass bowls for $10. So I'm going to use that to turn into a drill press light. Two distance saws for two bucks. A Wen 14-inch electric chainsaw in a case for 15 Uh Standy handyman plane and a jigsaw for 10 bucks. And then I got a pipe vise, a forged pick, and a mini oiler, which was about an inch and a half wide, for $13. And that was it. Um, that was all I got at the uh, at the Jacktown flea market. Uh, and then I did get one other thing on the trip, which was kind of a, a mind bender, which Tom knows what I'm talking about already because I've sent him pictures. So there was this guy named Nick. I had to drive another hour to get to it. But there's this guy named Nick, and he had a 1930s Delta bandsaw up for sale for 200 bucks. And I recognized it from the badging. I knew it was like 1935. And it came with 18 extra blades. And he, he he wanted 200 bucks, but I'm like, man, is there any wiggle room? And he's like, I've already had three people say they were going to come. They just didn't show up. And I'm like, how about 100 bucks? And he's like, done. Come and get it. And I said, all right. So I drive down there after Jacktown. And I'm opening up the truck. He opens the garage. And I'm looking from a distance. And I'm like, man, that, that looks really small for some reason. Why does it look so small? And I get right up on it. And it is actually a 10-inch Delta bandsaw. But for some reason, Delta shrunk everything proportionally. So it looks exactly like a 14-inch. Like, you can't... The only the only giveaway... Like, even the stand is shrunken. Looks exactly the same. Yeah, it looks exactly the same, except that the Delta badge, they did not reduce in size. So it's, it is bigger. But if you don't... Not paying attention, you wouldn't notice. And then on the back... Uh, on a 14 inch, the back top wheel is enclosed, but on the 10 inch, it's open. But other than that, you couldn't tell. And it had, it did have a retirement light on it. So I walked up to the guy and immediately I'm like, oh, this isn't what I want. And his face just like, he just looks at me. He's like, what are you talking about? (laughs) I'm like, I thought this was going to be way bigger. So, um, I look at it for like about 10 seconds. I look at the light again. I'm like, I could sell the light. So I'm like, I'll take it. Don't worry about it. I was like, I was trying to buy this for a guy. He wanted me to do artwork on it. It's just the wrong size. I said, I'll still, I'll clean it up and I'll make it work. Don't worry about it. And he's like, all right, cool. And then I, I talk with him for a little bit and he buys tools from guys that do clear outs and he'll get like a truckload of tools for 300 bucks. And I said, listen, man, do you get other like drill presses and bandsaws and stuff like that? He goes, yeah, every once in a while. He goes, I sell tools too. And I said, listen, 
If you don't want to deal with idiots, okay, you've got my phone number. When you get one of these, just call me up, let me know, I'll come get it the same day. And he's like, oh, dude, if I don't have to store this thing, I'll give you a great discount. This is done. And I'm like, all right, cool. So now I might have a hookup an hour away. This guy might just be finding me bandsaws and drill presses in the future. I don't, I don't know, but we'll see. Um, but that was it. Those were the deals for the week. Were those deals hot enough for you? You got a sizzling deal that's burning a hole in your pocket? Send it in. Maybe we'll read it on air. All right, it's time for personal history. Ben, what is your personal history with troubleshooting? Uh, well... When I moved to Kansas City in 2001, I knew how to do absolutely nothing. I did not know how to change my own oil. I did not know how to do anything. And I ended up working at a place where we were heavy on equipment and light on budget. And so I learned a lot of very practical uh, bailing wire and, you know, screwdrivers to start equipment and that kind of stuff because sending it out wasn't really an option. And then later, I ended up in a situation where we personally had no money and lots, my wife and I, and we had lots of things going on that we wanted to keep doing. So I started uh, finding and buying uh, old tools, uh, old lawnmowers, um, all sorts of old machinery uh, that was broken and then kind of teaching myself, you know, okay, so why isn't this working? Um, and sometimes it was something really simple and sometimes it wasn't. Um, and the way my mind works just really kind of gravitated well towards that. So much so that at my most recent job that I worked before, they were just hiring me to do like this one thing. And I'd been there a week and something else was broken. And I went up and I was like, you know, it's probably this or this. And it worked. And then they were like, we're going to have you do some more things now. I was a big science nerd when I was a kid, so the scientific method was always kind of a foremost in my mind. Um, and so a lot of these things, to me, are just common sense. I'm amazed the amount of people that will just say, oh, gosh, this is broken. I'm going to buy a new one. I'm like, it's not that broken. Um, it also makes me furious when I can't figure out what's wrong with it. Like, like the auto-scroller that I've got that doesn't work. I don't know why. But... I'll figure it out. Did you pull that apart already? Uh, yeah. Um, but then everyone was making fun of my magic wand voltage tester. Um, cause really if you turn it on anywhere within about a foot and a half of the auto scroller, it sets it off. So, uh, I'm thinking maybe, maybe that's not right. So I'm going to have to face my fear and get my multimeter back out and, uh, see if I can figure out how to make that how to use a multimeter. I don't know why it has so many settings when I just need the two. AC and DC, that's all I need. <laughs> you need you need a unimeter. I need, yes, I need a unimeter. Does does Rockwell make one of those? Do they make a unimeter? They made a unit every- Johnson's has a couple. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's the worst. When, when you tackle something that you think it has to be one of these three things, and then it's not- and then you and then you just find yourself in this this is not going to beat me. Yes. This is this is not going to get the best of me. <laughs> and and you just keep at it. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm I I'm sitting here and I'm I'm looking at it and um I have brought tools that are in a lot worse shape than this back to life, so I'm confident I just have to 
troubleshoot my way into the house and get a battery for my multimeter and uh yeah go from there is that your way of saying that your wife has locked you out of the house no it's that my add keeps ma making me forget that i uh need one. Oh, okay i got you I well i i mean it's kind of like schrodinger's cat at this point she may have locked me out of the house i just don't know <laughs> no until i go up don't. to the back of the house Tell you observe the don't law. Check. Yeah. Whatever you do, don't check. <laughs> Open the door. Mm. She's laid out on the floor. Uh oh, close the door. Close the door. Broken, broken bottle of poison. Yeah. I just now realized that our personal histories on troubleshooting have not changed. <laughs> For me, Tom and Tanda. So I'm trying to think if there's anything new. Um, that I have to add. But while I'm thinking about it, it looks like Tanda's got something to say. Well, I'm a completely different person than I was when we recorded that episode. Go for it, Tanda. I certainly don't remember what I said that episode, so I can just come up with something new, which is probably the same. It'll feel new. I found myself in very a very similar situation as Ben, where I've started working for, at some place, and then in engineering, for whatever reason, they often call it a firefighter. I mean, you, you go to work... And then someone has some problem, some line is down, some machine is not working, you know, someone's kind of in a panic. And if you come up with a solution for it, then they come looking for you the next time. And you get a couple of those under your belt. And the next thing you know, that's kind of your, you know, four hours of the day you're doing that. And then you're having to put in some extra time to get your actual assigned work done. But I've been all over the world in situations where um where I literally walked in to work one day and and my boss said have you ever thought of going to Australia and I'm like yeah I thought I think it'd be cool like do we have something in Australia that and he's like well when can you leave <laughs> and I was like well when when were you thinking and it was like tomorrow morning can you arrange travel today and leave tomorrow morning and so I've I've been on some fun trips, but not with the like preconceived. Oh, when I get there, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to take this. It's been more like, uh, and I've been sent out to places where, uh, where where the you know kind of the the assignment was come back when it's working. So I've I've been in you know Corning's fiber optic plants and and various robotic things on the East Coast where it was kind of you know that was kind of the understood thing was when the customer is happy and not going to sue us <laughs> you you may return so yeah I think it's easy to fall into that troubleshooting you know paradigm and I never really thought about it as scientific applying the scientific method but I would guess that you know people who are into science and and that approach probably fall into becoming troubleshooters as well. So, Tom, what's your new history of troubleshooting? Sidebar, Tom. Yeah. Oh, thank God you bailed me out. You know, I just realized uh, we have vastly misjudged Tanda. She could have been living in Australia and being paid to live there, like now. Like, she could be broadcasting from Australia, but she just let them... She told them when she was done. I mean, she could have just stayed there and been paid the entire time. And she, she could have milked that for years. Like, oh, it's still broken. You know, but the, I, it was a missed opportunity. Yeah. I, I feel like I, I thought, you know, I thought she was better 
I, I feel let down. I feel let down. I feel like I thought, you know, she was smarter than me. Now I'm feeling like I saw it first, you know. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel weird. I feel weird well, all of a sudden. <laughs> all right, Tom, I, I could tell you're having trouble breathing over there. We better get out of the sidebar so you can, you can actually get your breath there. All right. Right. Tanda, that was that was a that was a story. I've I've never been to Australia. Tom, what what are you yeah. um what new troubleshooting? History. Yeah, yeah. You know what? You know what I uh I've probably done more in my life than I would call troubleshooting. I think it blends in pretty well with like just getting it done. Like, you know, uh Ben was just saying like they, there was a time in their life where they were broke and just I'm gonna use the word desperate. I've been there um, where, right. Where you just like, you just have to make something happen. You just have to do it. And it doesn't matter what's broken. You just, it has to be fixed and you just do what it takes. And, and troubleshooting certainly in that is that process, but the motivation is just very different and, and definitely desperate. (laughs) Well, and I feel like troubleshooting can also be a, a skill that then you start applying to things you haven't even started yet. So I've got a shop edition that has been lingering probably until the fall, which I'm slightly annoyed that I'm I'm not at it yet, but it also has given me several chances to build it in my mind and go, oh wait, when I get to this point, I'd have this problem. And then kind of take it back down and you know put it back up, um, kind of pre-troubleshooting, um, troubleshooting in the fourth dimension. That's that's pre-disastering, Ben. That's what I pre-disastering. Okay, okay. Duh. Yeah. And I think the more you troubleshoot, the the better you get at at designing because before you even start, you're like, oh, I remember fixing that thing, and it failed because they didn't do this this particular way. So I'm not going to do that in my design. And then they start to generalize over time. I think you just get a feel for it. You you kind of forget that you're even getting better and better at design because you've seen so many, you've taken apart so many things and seen so many failure points that you just kind of internalize that and you avoid them when you design something. I've had that happen to a point that it's crippling. PJ, PJ, sidebar. Yeah, Ben. Yeah, say, hey, I think Tanda just turned this on to design. Did she just do that? Did she just sneak design in? I mean, she's allowed to talk about design. Oh yeah, it's not. It's not. Ta- it's Tom's not allowed to talk about it. Oh, oh, my bad. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. I thought that was rather brazen of her to just be like, "Hey, design and design and design again." Yeah, she's okay. She actually knows what design means. Tom just uses it as a catch-all for everything. Got it. Okay. Cool. Um. All right. Uh, oh, here they come. Let's go. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, Tanda, you mentioned design, and I just can't help but bring this up. Oh, oh yeah, I, I mentioned design primarily. Because because you can't and and so I just it was kind oh, of a taunt on. yeah well I've when I've been doing that thing that cannot be spoken um, sometimes that knowledge actually prevents me from doing it I'm like oh that won't work that won't work and I just like kind of get the it's a big roadblock sometimes and I just I, I just quit at the that thing it it really can be I mean it keeps you from just jumping in and starting something in a time where you would have just started. And, and mm-hmm. now you think longer about it, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but sometimes it keeps you from just jumping in and starting. For sure. I'm trying to think of new things. And what occurs to me that I don't think I've talked about 
is there's a side benefit to troubleshooting once you've done it long enough. And we sort of danced around it here with you guys talking about it. And that is your awareness of your awareness of problems when you look at things. And what I mean by that is when you're normally troubleshooting something for the first time, you have symptoms and then you you chase those symptoms back to the original cause. But when you've done it enough times and you walk onto something, it's like automatically a checklist is generated and you start, you know, troubleshooting it before you've even touched it. Like it, it in your mind, that process starts running and you automatically start discounting things that it couldn't be. And then you go with like the highest priority. So your your awareness jumps up. And this is very specifically, uh, it's a good skill to have for someone like me when I'm walking into a place and I can't turn something on like a flea market. I examine things and go, okay, uh, what's the worst thing that could be wrong with this thing that I can't test? Is it worth me buying it? Uh, is it unfixable? Do I notice anything that's missing? And it, it prevents a lot of poor purchases um, because I can, I can like, there was a lot of things at the flea market that I looked at and I'm like, oh, no way. that That's going to be a headache. I already know what's involved because I've done it. And so I just left them. It wasn't worth the time invested. And then the other thing is uh, sort of like Tanda was saying about going to Australia. Uh, this is unrelated to making, but when I was in the film industry, I used to go to the Cannes Film Festival in France, and my job there was to troubleshoot. We we ran a film program over there. We brought filmmakers over, and whenever you're bringing a group of people to a foreign country, there's going to be problems. And if you don't know how to deal with it, you're going to get a lot of very unhappy people that paid you to make sure that they are happy. So um, being able to troubleshoot for people uh, is also a very, very important skill. It, it got to the point where I understood the lay of the land in France very, very well, and I knew what to expect. And so it was, again, the same thing, like that awareness of the problems. And I would many times deal with them before they even became a problem. That's, I don't think I've talked about that before, but that's also a very, very good subset of skills to have is people troubleshooting. As you were starting that and you were talking about, uh, you know, having seen problems before and then being able to quickly solve them because you're seeing them for the second time. I was picturing uh, Steinmetz like uh, having this conversation with his boss saying, uh, you know, those generators we made that had the bad sixth coil? <laughs> yeah, Ford, Ford has one of those. I'm going to take about four days off, and uh, and you'll you'll see me back in four days. I'm going to go make some extra cash. I'll take notes on uh, on our project while I'm there. Playing the long game. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Well, shaky darn! I think it's time for one of them old timey commercial interludes and stuff. Hey y'all, this is Edna down at Johnson's Hardware. Are you a troubleshooter? And every once in a while, you just don't have that perfect thing to fix the problem? Well, we have just the thing for you. Second Cousin Trent's Tactical Troubleshooting Treasure Trove. It's a watertight metal box, and it contains everything you may need to solve any problem. The contents include, but are not limited to, a safety pin, a bobby pin, a lynch pin, a chewed piece of gum, a tub of Vaseline, two peanuts, a paper clip, three crayons, a condom, and a peacock feather. You'll find them at Johnson's for just $27.32. Get one for a friend while you're here. You'll find us at patreon.com forward slash makerskills. 
Well, Dagnabbit, I need to get me one of them. Anyone know what street Patreon is on? I need to go. All right, it's time for crossbreeding. Design. Ben, what skill goes well with troubleshooting? Um, hydration. <laughs> if you're hot and irritable and dehydrated, I mean, I mean that, that saw blade's moving too fast. You're going to think, well, I'll just grab it to slow it down. Next thing you know, you know, on your way to the hospital. I mean, you'll get hydrated there. They'll give you an IV. Ben. Yeah. Ben, you're, you're our guest, and I feel bad, but hydration is not a skill. That's that's an action. Um, you, you need a skill that goes well with, with troubleshooting. Just add ING, Ben. Just say hydrationing. Hydrationing? Don't listen to Tom. Don't listen to Tom. Okay. Um, what skill goes well with troubleshooting? Um, ooh, is imagination a skill? Ima- imaginizing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Imagining. Imagining is a skill. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm really like honestly imagining because, like you said, hey, I've got this table saw that won't work, and you say, well, what is it doing or not doing? And they tell you, and you can kind of start running in your mind. Okay, if it's doing this, it could be this or this, and then you can kind of ask questions until they stop being fruitful, and then when you get there, you can look at one or two things instead of all the things. Oh, well, see, when I was imagining something completely different, I was thinking that the table saw didn't work because either gremlins or pixies had infested it, and I had to figure out which one was in there. I mean, that's you're not wrong. I mean, sometimes it's, you know, I turn it on and glitter shoots out of the top of it. Um, that's a definite sign of pixies. Well, that's pixies. Yeah, yeah. we knew that. Yeah. 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 All right, uh, Tanda, what skill goes well with troubleshooting? I think a skill that goes well with troubleshooting is understanding uh, binary trees. Totally. Oh, my God. Is, is this about the, the, the arborist again? Are we back to the... No, no. This is a computer science thing. Oh. But, uh, no, seriously, I think a, um, a really good skill for troubleshooting is understanding the process of dividing the problem in half and making a determination which half the problem lies in and then dividing that problem in half. So if you're talking about the, you know, the saw, does it have power uh, or not? You know, it's not even coming on. Well, then you know the problem is different than a bearing and so on and so on. And if you just keep dividing it in half, then that's a good way of approaching problem solving. That kind of sounds like the process of elimination. That's a tree. It is a very good tactic for uh, for both the pick a number between one and a hundred and uh, successive approximation AD converters. You know, if if Tom had given this answer, I would not accept it. But since it's coming from you, Tanda, I'm going to let it pass. I wore him down, Tom. Yeah. Just ramble, yeah. ramble. Yes. It works. Just ramble, Tom. I'm good at that. What skill goes yeah. well uh, with troubleshooting? Uh, hydration. You're going to cut that other part that Ben had out, right? You can't say hydration, Tom. Okay. It's still not a skill. Oh, dang. I feel like I could prove you wrong. Tom, just add ing. Oh, uh, hydrationing. Yes, of course. Naturally. (laughs) Oh, hydrationing. No, that's still not a skill. Deductive reasoning. That's a skill. Yes, that is a skill. Man, I should have said that. Does that count? Can you use it in a sentence? Uh, I used deductive reasoning as my <laughs> exfoliant yesterday, and it was horrible. What are we doing? As as, as my comparison skill, 
on this week's episode. Period. <sighs> I was the I did so random. I was the kid in in class. I was like, I'm going to use all my vocabulary words in one sentence. This week, my vocabulary words are. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> I literally ask you to use it in a sentence, and it's a hard fail on the first try. <laughs> <laughs> well, I had to remember what a sentence was. You know, it's difficult for me, so don't pick oh, up. Okay. okay, so... Um, no, deductive reasoning. I think, I feel like deductive reasoning is part of troubleshooting. You know, it's it's observing and reporting back to your own brain uh, what is happening, what's going on, and then making, deducing uh, the next step. Very true. My hand's bloody. The saw must have had power. Yes, definitely. Yes. Yes. Totally. Very accurate. As for me, I'm going to go with something a little less ethereal than uh, than all you guys. Uh, I'm going to say soldering, you know, when... What? You know, you've got something electrical that's broken when you're troubleshooting and it needs to be repaired, you're probably going to have to solder it. So soldering is a good skill to have. Uh, what, it, what is that, Tom? <laughs> I don't know. While you guys were talking about stuff... I took apart this fan that's not working anymore, and I wanted to see what was wrong with it, and I don't know how to fix it. I don't see anything wrong. No. You may need to reflow the solder. Yeah, you need. You may need to solder that board. I, well, there is a there is one contact that might need some reflow, but I think it's going to be the actual fan itself, like in the... It's a little computer fan. I think it's in the fan itself. We'll find out. If you guys keep... if I mean, if this episode goes any longer, I'll probably figure it out by the end, and I'll let you know. And now it's time for Give Me Your Best Guest. Yeah. All right. This is the inaugural episode of Give Me Your Best Guest. And we're going to talk about Ben's skill set. We know that troubleshooting is your dominant skill, Ben. But what are the other four skills in your top five that you think kind of make up who you are as a maker? Um, Repurposing. I feel like even when uh, things are beyond repair, they still have good parts to them. Um, I had a Shopsmith Mark V that the motor was burned up in. I mean, beyond repair burned up. And I ended up selling off the usable parts. Um, but then I ended up keeping the legs and the casters because I knew I had an idea for a workbench. And I'm going to incorporate those into when I get into the shop. Like vision how to say vision like a lot of times i'll see f- fancy furniture or you know i'll see uh you know it's just something on the side of the road and i go that has really great lines mm-hmm. you know i could make it with this and this and this and it'd be you know something to like hang on the wall instead um once i get this monster built in out of my shop i'm actually gonna uh close my books to building things for people so i can kind of it has been a while since I've been able to express that part of my making. Third, doing stuff on the cheap. So my my garbage voltage tester I got from work. I didn't pay anything for it. They bought it for me because I was dealing with high voltage stuff, which now is kind of concerning that this doesn't work and I was using it for <laughs> high voltage stuff. But uh, anyway, somebody was like, oh, that's complete garbage, and I didn't disagree. And I was like, well, do you have any suggestions? They're like, yeah, you should use this thing. And I went, there. it's my backup meter. And I'm like, okay, cool. And I went and looked at it. And it's like $110. And I'm, huh. that's not going to be a thing. Um, because just that's a lot of money to spend on a tool that I'm not going to use all that much. But what I may do is try to find a more efficient solution. And by efficient, I mean cheap. I had a, 
a, briefly I had a home handyman repair business earlier in 2021, and it was a dismal failure. I, I could not handle uh, going into people's houses and fixing stuff because I wanted to do it the way I do it, which is like, you know, I could buy a $100 sink replacement kit for you, or I could put duct tape on it. And I realized that... <laughs> I realized that I wanted to put duct tape on it, but they probably wanted me to fix it right. And I'm so used to doing things kind of on the sly that it just, it was too much anxiety. And so I quit because I didn't want to do it the right way. That's three, four. Being willing to learn from anyone about anything is very helpful because I don't know everything. And sometimes I'll be like, like you and I have talked about like willing things into existence. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I'll think about a project that I want to do, man. I really want to make a, uh, an old tool chest. Um, but I don't know anything about it. I mean, I don't know anything about them. And then, you know, somebody, I'll find someone on Instagram that's making one, you know, from a pattern and they go, Oh, well the reason they made them was this, this, and this. So just being kind of open to, to learning and, and not getting set in my ways because I'm always, I am one of those people that I always get really frustrated when a really cool invention comes out that's like super simple because I'll like, I would have never thought of that in a thousand years. And so when everybody, somebody is doing something and it's really simple and I'm like, oh, I would have made that so much more complicated. I always like that because it kind of derails my brain from overthinking. So you're basically saying that Izzy Swan's channel is like your nemesis because that's all he does. Okay, I will literally lose so much cred here. I don't even know who Izzy Swan is. Oh my God! I think we made a mistake having him on the show. It was tra- no, it was a, it was traumatic. He he saw Izzy's channel and Izzy making some simple thing and selling it, <laughs> and then it, he just, he's blocked it out. He's like totally he's forgotten. He's got selective like, amnesia. Yeah, yeah. I that, think that's that that's must what be it is. what it is. It's selective yeah. amnesia. Yeah. So no, yeah, I, I hear the name bandied about, and I'm like, I should probably go check out who that is. <laughs> he d- he does some really fun stuff. Izzy yeah. is like a mad scientist. He can make almost anything powered by a drill. Like he made mm-hmm. a drill-powered dinosaur that he stood on and it walked around. Okay. Okay. I think I would remember that kind of content. Yeah, go to his YouTube channel. You're you're gonna you're just your mind is gonna just explode. It's a good thing we caught you before you saw that stuff. Okay, good deal. Some something you said kind of um, about learning anything from anyone. I think that's what I missed most during COVID times about our makerspace, because it was just an amazing place to go and just start talking to someone. What are you building? Oh, what are you making? Oh, that's cool. What do you what do you do? oh, I make these particular things. I specialize in this or that, or here's what I do for a living. And the next thing, and it's just that kind of space where people are open and, and able to share information. And the next thing it's, I know it's been two hours and I've had this, you know, I've, I've taught a class for an hour and then my student has taught me something that they know that I don't for two hours. And it's just great for that. I mean, I imagine that that's what it's like for Tom being on the podcast. He just has no idea what's happening. He learns something from us, and then he feels better. Pretty much. It's a good thing he doesn't listen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It saves us on sidebars, because we can talk about Tom while he's uh, while he's noodling around trying to fix a f- computer fan. Did, did you fix it, Tom? 
no, I need I need to. I got the fan out though, the motor, and I disconnected it, and now I need to see if it powers on and to 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 troubleshoot and isolate the problem. Tom's about to electrocute himself on the show live. Tom is so literal. It's low voltage. This episode has been so good that I was inspired halfway through it to start doing some troubleshooting. Tom Tom takes everything so literal. I say divide the problem in half. The next thing you know, whatever's on his bench has been literally divided in half. Good. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. He's going to buy one of those water jets, you know, that people like will cut right. things directly in half with. Yes. Well, it wasn't the left half of the saw. When you're talking about manifesting things, I forgot to make the connection in my story during Dealer's Corner. But when I went into the uh, Jacktown flea market, my goal was to find a camping tent. Like I, I went in there like I'm going to find a camping tent for Tony's party. And everywhere I went, like I was asking them, like, do you have a camping tent? And they're like, oh, we sold it already. Like everywhere I went, no one had one. But I was so intent on finding one. And then it was like the two days later, the tent just appeared, you know. So, so you, you were so intent. I was intent. In finding one? Yes, Tom. Yes. This you are correct. Cheap joke, man. Well, it's like Tom was buying all of those Weber grills. And I'm a, I'm a charcoal guy. I've just never been a big fan of, of gas grills. So I know that I've never, ever been shopping for one. And they just started showing up everywhere in my marketplace feed. So, yeah. It's part of Tom's master plan. He's um, he's actually secretly working for Weber. And uh, he's infecting everyone with a Weber virus that it just keeps showing up all over the country. Even Tanda's getting Weber grill ads. Do you guys know the story <laughs> behind the kettle ad? The kettle grill? Yes. Yes? I do. No. I don't. What, what is it? It was originally a. It was originally something else. Was it like an oil tank or a propane tank? No, it was a. Um, You're gonna have to tell me. Weber. Weber was a company that made nautical buoys. Oh. One of their employees named Stevens. Uh, if you look at if you look at pre-Weber charcoal grills, they're all over the place. They're square. They're round. They're flat. I mean, they're they're all over the place, and. I guess they had an off, like, I don't know, one that had a hole in it. And he was like, you know, this might make a good, cheap charcoal grill. And so he went home and he made it and he kind of refined it. And he found out that it it actually didn't take, it took like hardly any retooling to start making it into charcoal grills. And he said to his boss, hey, you care if I, you know, can I buy 20 or 25 of these and make them into charcoal grills and sell them? And he goes, I don't care. And pretty soon Stevens was able to quit his job at the Nautical Buoy place and was making grills and then he start, He made so much money, he bought the Weber Nautical Buoy Company. And that's why it's a Weber Stevens product. <laughs> wow. Oh, wow. That's a that's oh, a really wow. cool story. Yeah, there's a whole class of things that, like the uh, the disco, people around here make discos, where you take a, a disc, like from a farm implement, and then use it basically like a walk. Yeah. And to the point that now people are, are you know, they're not like salvaging farm equipment. They're buying brand new replacement discs from the vendor welding handles on them and making discos for camp cooking. Huh. And it's just crazy that you, you see, you see something and this kind of goes back to your skill of visualizing things as, as other things Yeah, where, where you look at it and you go, Oh, that would make a great grill or that would make a great handle. And it's not what it was designed for. That's why I love like post-apocalyptic movies 
because it's always like they turn this thing into this thing over here. And I'm always like, oh, that's really clever. Right. I feel like I should have something clever to say, but I have nothing. I have nothing. I got distracted <laughs> while we were in the middle of this conversation. Uh, Nick, the guy that I bought the little mini band saw from, just texted me and he goes, are you messing around with vices at all? <laughs> So I texted it back and I said, yes, old American vices. I'm waiting to see if he sends me a picture of something really cool. Like, you know, like a 10 inch Prentice or something. You're the editor. You can always edit something clever in later. He texted me back. All right, I'm going to check this. What is What does it say? I may be getting these this week. Oh, oh man. It's a pallet full of Wiltons. I, I think they're all, I, I, I think they're all garbage. <laughs> it's, it's like, um, the... Okay, two of them are definitely garbage, and one Littlestown, one Litco. So, yeah, derailed. Totally derailed the conversation. Totally derailed. I thought it was going to be something awesome, and it's just, like, total garbage. Did you give us your fifth skill, Ben? I don't think you did. Oh, I thought I had to come up with four additional ones other than troubleshooting. Yeah, I thought I thought we we did the fourth. Now we're on the fifth, aren't now we? Now we're on the fifth. Um... Unless I can't count, but normally that's Tom. No, no, you're right. It's it's five it's five things from troubleshooting. Um, does being cheap count? You said that already. I did. Yeah, uh, I think you mean frugal. That's the word you're looking for. Frugal. Frugal. He said he said cheap before, but uh, but now he's repurposing it. It's one of his skills. <laughs> he's now seeing Boom. it. He's seeing it now as frugal, uh, which is which is different. That's eh, a bit of a stretch bit of a stretch so i don't know what this skill would be called but i do like finding inexpensive solutions to a tool or a process that would normally cost a lot of money like the one that the one that i'm most looking forward to trying out is that i've got a unisaw that i'm getting ready to put together and if you ever want to throw a hand grenade into a facebook group ask what's the best kind of uh fence system for a unisaw <laughs> yes it's almost as good as like taking a picture of a lathe key in your in your lathe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Because everybody has different opinions and they're all right. I have the original Delta tube fence system, which everyone is like, this is complete garbage. But then somebody mentioned, and this I think this is is brilliant, is that you you set up the fence, the original Delta fence system, and you make sure that it's all lined up right. And then you buy, Starrett makes a adhesive-backed tape. I guess all tape is adhesive-backed. Um, it's a adhesive-backed metal measuring like the guts for a tape measure. Mm-hmm. But it's adhesive-backed, yeah. and you set that on the table part, and you use that measurement instead of the stock measurements that are on the tube. And that's going to be really, like that's going to be a $25 investment. And I know that one of these days I will come across a Bessemeyer. I'll come across some really a better a better fence system, and then I'll be interested to see how much better it is than my inexpensive fix. I always, I mean, I'm not opposed to like buying cool tools, but I do take a certain amount of satisfaction when somebody has bought the Festool jigsaw that I have used, and it is complete garbage compared to the 60-year-old craftsman jigsaw that I have. Yeah, okay, so let me understand this correctly. Everybody complains that the Unisaw fence is total garbage because they can't read the demarcations on the bar and replacing that with a Starrett 
stick on tape fixes everything? I think the complaint is that the demarcation demarcations on the bar are not super accurate. Like they're accurate down to like a sixteenth, but people expect two thousand and twenty one precision out of a eighty year old table saw. And yeah. Okay, okay. I have a Unisaw that I have never set up because I haven't had the space, but that's my third table saw, and I'm pretty sure that I'm going to treat that like I've treated every other table saw, which is that I don't use the demarcations. I use a ruler because if you change the blade, like if the tooth size changes, then all the all the measurements change too. So I always just measure against the fence. No, they don't. What do you mean, no, they don't? If you have an eighth-inch blade or a sixteenth-inch blade, that's going to cut different. No, the arbor is coming from the fence side, and the blade butts up the the, the edge. <laughs> the edge, the reference edge is always the same, even if you had a three-inch wide blade. That That's true, but the set on the tooth could could change. The The teeth are centered on the blade, okay? So if you have a 16th inch blade and it's centered on that, so then you have a 32nd hanging off the side and then you have like a bigger blade that's got and like a, a fourth inch or whatever blade, I'm just exaggerating, it's going to overhang more off the center. It's going to change the measurement. Hmm. If you change the blade, it's, it's not the same. It's because it, it, it's just not. So anyway, my point is, I never use the demarcations for anything. I always measure with a ruler or a tape measure to make sure that I'm getting what I want. I don't trust those measurements on anything. <laughs> I think that's how you get projects where everything is cut wrong. <laughs> that's that's my personal belief. I disagree. I just don't know how yet. I can actually see both points of view, and it makes me want to get into my stack of saw blades. Um, I, ha I can't throw them away, so I have a stack that is this thick from all of the various picks I've gone to. Like this is my fifth or sixth table saw because, you know, I started out with a really, ch a really cheap older Craftsman one and I just keep kind of upgrading to bigger saws. But now I want to get them all out and like measure the, it's not the rake, it's the... Well, it's, a, it's an eighth inch blade, unless you're using a thin curve. And then I can see your argument but don't use a thin curve. The problem with the Unisaw fence, are we still talking about this? The problem with the Unisaw fence is the the pointer is like cast iron and the the marks on the the pipe they're just even if they're accurate to the blade, you might put it a 16th to the left and you might put it a 16th to the right just because of the visual that it gives you. And there's that stupid tightening down knob to tighten the back of the fence to lock it in, which is always a little bit off. Pro tip, put a cam lock, go buy a, a quarter 20 cam lock, and you can cam lock that thing. Here's what I need from a fence, Tom. I need it to be straight, and I need it to lock into place. And the very first table saw I had did neither of those things. Yeah. So as long as it does that, it's, it's perfectly fine for my purposes. Yeah, it's okay. Was that our best guess? I don't know, but it was a guest. All right, it's time for short and sweet. Ben, do you have anything to wrap up the show? Um, no. Like, like this has been a great time. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, it's supposed to be hot out this next week, so 
Everyone stay hydrated. Electrolyte. Still trying to make that passable as a skill. What? <laughs> <laughs> Hydrationating. Well, um, Ben, I'm I'm happy to hear that you stole Tom's answer, so now he can't say no. Tom, what do you have for short and sweet? I think the motor on this fan is shot, which I've never really expand, experienced a broken motor. It's usually something that goes to the motor, so that's that's depressing. Uh, also, a butt gauge is for butt hinges. I learned during one of the segments where you guys were talking. Butt hinges are are basically hinges. They're exactly what you think a hinge looks like. They're not special. They're just called butt hinges. And it's it's to basically match up, like on a door jam, you can match up the door jam with the door. And this little gauge transfers those marks, essentially. Which I I spent 20 minutes looking at that. You guys talked for a while. I had lots of time to research that. Thank you. The thing that would make that story awesome is if the hinges were made by a company named Badunkadunk. Yes. You're right. Yeah. I don't want to Google that, though. I mean, you should. You should. Tanda, you got anything for short and sweet? Well, I think that uh, having having a good set of, of basic tools, like a little troubleshooting kit, have a multimeter is one of those things that's handy to, to have about for troubleshooting anything electronics. Um, but as Tom was talking, I, I kind of chuckled thinking back to a time when I was watching the New Yankee Workshop which when my kids were little, you know, that was just like the height of boredom, of course. But the guy was going through the process of, of what, a, what a wheelwright the guy, like you don't know. would do back in the day. And so he made the spokes using a, a spoke shave. But then there was also a tool that you would cut the cross grain with at the ends of them. And it was called a butt shave. And they just like, for the rest of the day, they were just like giggling and, and laughing and, and saying that because, you know, some adult on uh, on TV said butt shave. And so uh, then it was okay to watch the, the New Yankee Workshop again. Are you going to tell me what his name is? Do not Google butt shave. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was that was that well. was a that was a really long roundabout way to trick Tom into googling butt shape. Uh, yeah, master stroke, Tanda, master stroke. I gotta hand it to yeah. you. I'm gonna have a long night of explaining this to my wife. Master stroke, butt shave. PJ, do you have anything for short and sweet? Yeah, I had some weirdness today. Uh, more weird than normal. I went to the post office and there was a package there that I didn't recognize. I got it home and I opened it up. And PJ, you're not supposed to just take random packages. It was addressed to me. Okay. It was addressed to me. I didn't order it. Oh, okay? oh, all right. Okay. I'm sorry. Got it. I opened it up and I could hear stuff rolling around in there. So I knew it was parts of something. And it is two brand new toolkits. Uh, one was an electric screwdriver with a bunch of like sockets and bits and drill bits and stuff like that. And then the other one was like a pair of um, pliers and a razor blade and a bunch of other like a tape measure and all this stuff and it was all made in china brand that i like the, the the screwdriver was called the wonder tool or something like that like it was like like i wonder where it came from i did not order this stuff some joker bought this stuff and sent it to me okay i want to know who did this i put a post up on instagram and no one's claimed it yet, but it came from California, okay? It came from, um, it was like Rosemead, California, and I, I want I want to know who did it. It's 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 irking me that I got sent Chineseium tools. 
Uh, r- r- real quick, also, do not Google the Wonder Tool. It doesn't end well. <laughs> We're two for two, PJ. Yeah, yeah, I know. That whole, That was a long way of getting Tom to do it, right? Guys, I Google everything you say. <laughs> I love how Tom does all the work when he's actually supposed to be working. Listen, I'm not on the clock before the thing starts, so I'm not, I mean, I don't know what to tell you. I'm a union guy. <laughs> union podcaster. Thank you for listening to this episode of Maker Skills. If you should need more skill information, you can find us on Instagram at maker.skills. You can also email us at makerskillspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at PJ Galati, son of the junk hunter on Instagram and YouTube. You can find Tanda at Tanda Madison on Instagram. And you can find Tom at Infinite Craftsman on Instagram. We welcome any comments. Please leave us five-star reviews on Apple so that we can make more skill madness come your way. See you next time. Hey, fellas, it's uh, Tool Time. All right. We asked Ben what segment he wanted to do, and he said he wanted to do Tool Time. We're going to invent a tool that Ben wants, which is a quick change method for bench grinder. And I got to be honest, I want to know how come this isn't already a tool. They make quick change attachments, like Farad makes quick change attachments for angle grinders, which in my opinion are way more dangerous. Why don't, how come somebody hasn't done this already and how can we do it? That's that's the question. I don't care how it attaches, but I want to keep them in like a jukebox where you can select what you want and then an arm comes out and goes and grabs it and, and puts it on. So yes. You just have like a selector knob on the front and you choose which one you want and then hit a button. My kind of initial thought is you, you take the mechanism that you would find in a quick release like a, a uh, not a bench vise, an undermount vise. You know, some of those have like quick arrangement and then you torque it down. Take that mechanism and put it in like a knob, like a like a knurled knob that then you could put your, you know, you'd have your standard stop up against the the motor arbor and you put on whatever wheel you want and then you could just kind of slide this you know, over the threads and then push a button down and you could then turn it and it would lock it in place. I was just thinking of the exact same thing. But my question is, is that going to stay locked if it twists into place and it's a rotational object? Like that was the immediate thing I thought of was, is the rotation going to release it? Because I thought that you could have some kind of an arbor, like if there's an arbor, like some kind of a collar that you can attach to the grinding wheel so that you could you could make a release mechanism where you're just sliding it on, it locks into place, you push a button and it slides off. But how does that lock work where it's not subjected to the forces of the rotation? Because it rotates at high speed. Have whatever mechanism inside the the cam handle where where the rotation of the arbor would actually tighten, it would tighten whatever that mechanical joint is, because it would be almost like a, like you hold a button down, and then as you tighten it, and it, it holds, 
then the tension that so it'll, there'll be tension against the threads. Yeah, I figured it out. Okay, the spindle, the axle, is has uh, multiple keys, almost like a gear. Okay, so you're sliding this uh, removable arbor over that, so that locks it into place. It's gear on gear. Okay, and then all you and it has a positive stop, so you can only push it in so far. Then on the end of the axle, you have for lack of a better term, it's like a push button cap. It's a cap that you push into the arbor and you, when you push, you push the cap and that locks into place. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like a, like a button, like when you're pushing like a, a push to turn on button, it's something along that line where you push it in and it locks the cap. So all the cap does is stop it from backing out. It holds it in position and the gears are what locks it in as far as the rotational forces. So you How's that connected to the disc? It's not connected to the disc. It's just a stop. It's like a nut, but it's a nut that's a push button. Oh, you could so you could use a sprag bearing or a sprag clutch. That would be interesting because then it wouldn't it would resist, you know, as you're as you're grinding or buffing or whatever, it would work against whatever you're working. But then when you stop the grinder, it would just sit there in free spin. Oh, like a centrifugal clutch on a like a go-kart. Well, you might be able to do that. This is like a one-way this is like a one-way one way bearing. bearing. It's like it turns in one direction, but it locks and rotates the shaft in the other direction. Mm -hmm. But if you put your it's wheel like a pin on bearing. With that, yeah, it's like a roller bearing, but it it has like a little offset in it so that it only turns in one direction and in the other direction it kind of bites down on the shaft or it, you know, presses against the shaft. So then if you were working something against the wheel, you would get resistance. But the unusual thing about it is when you turned off the grinder, then it would kind of just freewheel for a while. All right, but wheels are standard. They have an arbor hole and nothing else. Right. And they are meant to be clamped with a nut to the arbor. So how are you getting the wheel to lock with the arbor? Right, you'd have to have you'd have to adapt your wheels. You'd have to have an adapter that you put on the wheels you want to use. Sure. Right. So just just imagine you've got like um are you familiar with those um they're called uh, sex nuts or Chicago screws? It's where it's mm -hmm. like yeah. So yeah, it's one fits inside the other. So imagine one of those but hollow. Also don't google sex nuts. Just uh, continue. So yeah, if you were to have one of those but it was hollow, almost like you had like a two threaded nuts on each side and you threaded them together so that way the space in the middle is what fits on the arbor and you have that keyed again like a gear so you could set up as many of these wheels as you wanted with these uh these locking arbors i guess or not not arbors but locking collars that fit that are keyed to the arbors uh, and that's how you would do it it'd be really expensive though because they would have to be balanced and so then they become kind of a a precision something I mean, if you wanted your if you wanted your wheels to be balanced. What I was thinking of would would be a something where you could like I've got my bench riders right here, where I could just unscrew the nut that's holding the the what is this things on the other side of you know the arbor flanges, flange you know those flange washers right, and then just right. screw this thing on it, and it just be like a knurled knob to where when it's when it when it cinches down tight, you know then something you do or don't do like you said, engages a mechanism that locks against the threads. And whether that is a, you know, like this, the, the rotation of the motor, you know, causes things to expand or contract to lock it in, or... It could be a pin through the center 
with uh, with bearings with like ball bearings around it. So when you pull the pin out, the bearings fall in, and then you can slide the wheel on, and then you push the little pin back in or the button in on the end, then it that wedges the bearings out into the wheel and locks it on. So then it's just like pull the knob, slide it off, slide another one on, push the knob. Or since all the thread is uniform on bench on grinder arbors, you could almost make it like a drill chuck to where in the inside of the chuck there's I'm 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 using my hands on the radio. Right. Where you have like hmm. three points that have that thread on it and as you tighten it down, it would it would grab into those threads. Mhm. Mm so it so it's just like a three jaw like an inside three jaw chuck but the but the chuck mates with threads. Yeah. Mhm. Mm that might work. That's another option. Yeah. I think we've come up with at least 15 good options here. Just uh, just Fellas, I'm not cleaning up all these tools.